You're listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. Now we're going to get into today's message, which is entitled Drifting into Troubled Waters. And it's from uh, Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 4. So if you have your Bible, just turn to the second chapter of Hebrews. We're going to look at the first four verses of that chapter. We've been going through this book. We've kind of looked at Jesus as being the superior son and the perfect son. And we've looked at him being superior to the angels, being the perfect king. Now we've come uh, to this section, uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and from verse 1. But before we get into that, let's just just come before the Lord in prayer and to still our hearts before him. Let's pray that God speaks to us and moves in our lives. So, Father, we come before you. Uh, We want to just uh, still our hearts before you. We want to ask Holy Spirit that you would speak to us and that you would lead us and guide us. Give us revelation as we look at these scriptures. Uh, Help us to understand what you're saying to us. Lord, your word is effective as uh, as a sharp sword and it penetrates deep into our lives. Uh, separating spirit and soul and bone and marrow even. And so we pray, speak into our lives this morning. Come and and give us a revelation of what you're saying to us. And I pray that we'd be changed, that we'd be encouraged, that we would be closer to you at the end of this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful. Uh, When Jen and I were much younger, we used to enjoy... Uh, on our weekends going to one of the local uh, dams and uh, we enjoyed all kinds of water sport and that with our friends. One of the things we do is we had these small uh, double hull boats called uh, Hobie Cats. We used to do a lot of sailing and the thing with a Hobie Cat is that it doesn't have an anchor and so what you'd have to do when you finish sailing is you'd have to pull the boat up onto the shore and uh, kind of just leave it there out of the water. And uh, from time to time, people would uh, forget to do that. And you'd see these boats drifting off into the middle of the dam. And uh, sometimes their owners had no idea what was happening to their boats. (laughs) They'd be barbecuing or they'd be playing cricket, uh, totally unaware that their boat was slowly floating away into the middle of the dam. And if the weather's good, it's not a problem. But Midmar Dam, where we used to go, was uh, known for having some very severe and violent storms, particularly late in the afternoon. The weather would pick up, uh, the wind would pick up, and even though it's, uh, it's a dam, an inland dam, uh, the waves, it would have waves like it was out, we're out at sea, the storm would become so violent. Sometimes it would even be lightning and even hail. And... Um, so from time to time, you got the odd person who fell asleep or whatever, or they got drunk or something like that. They had no idea that a storm had, had kind of built up and they only woke up at the first clap of thunder. And then suddenly, they literally had to make a life-threatening decision of whether to swim out and get their boat in the middle of the storm or whether just to abandon their boat. And, and many people lost their boats Uh, in the severe weather that happened at this dam. And so the point I'm trying to make is that these boats drifted, and drifting can be incredibly dangerous. Now, the book of Hebrews contains five passages of warning to believers. 
And so we're starting off uh, chapter 2 this morning, and this is the first of five warnings in the book of Hebrews, uh, which comes to believers. <clears throat> and it's to believers who are drifting, believers who are drifting away from the Lord, away from God's word. So let's first of all read the passage, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it. So we must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm, and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. And so the warning in this passage is about drifting, about drifting away from God. Let me just start off by briefly talking about the process of drifting, the process of drifting. And two things about drifting. Drifting happens gradually and drifting happens as a result of something we don't do, not because of something we do do. So nobody drifts because of something they did. We drift when we don't do anything or we drift when we neglect to do something. These boats that I spoke about drifted away from the shore. They did it very gradually. In fact, drifting can happen so gradually that it sometimes goes totally unnoticed. Even when someone is looking at their boat, they may not even notice that it's drifting because it happens so, so gradually. Drifting by definition is a slow, gradual process. It's not quick. And what this verse is saying is that Christians can drift away from the Lord, but it happens so gradually that sometimes we don't even notice it. No Christian drifts from God's word overnight. The process of drifting could even take years. And it happens as a result of us doing nothing. It happens because of neglect, because we ignore God when he speaks. See, nobody drifts because of rebellion or wickedness. But we drift when we neglect to listen to God, when we ignore God. It starts with just neglecting to spend time with God. One day turns into two, and before you know it, a week has gone by, and we haven't spoken to God, we haven't read His Word, we haven't had a quiet time. And it's very easy for that week to turn into months, and months into years. And I found that for some reason, the longer you stay away from God, the harder it is to return. That's been my experience. You say to yourself, well, tomorrow I'm going to pray. Tomorrow I'm going to read my Bible. And then tomorrow comes, and it just seems really difficult. Like it's such an effort. And then a voice in my mind says, hey, don't worry about it. Just do it the next day. And so you leave it. And in your heart you feel okay. You feel good because your intention is to spend time with God. But when you really analyze what's going on, it's been days or weeks or months since you have spent time with God. So whilst our hearts intend 
to be with God, we actually haven't been with God for a long period of time. We can drift from fellowship with God and fellowship with the church, our spiritual family. We miss one Sunday and then a second Sunday. And before you know it, it's been a month and we haven't been to a meeting. And most times we have legitimate reasons for not being there. Maybe you got sick on one week and then the next week a family member from overseas phoned you 15 minutes before the meeting began and so you had a chat to them and missed the second meeting. And then the following week your kid had a birthday and then the following week church got cancelled. And so all legitimate reasons but when you look at it it's like whoa four weeks have gone past and I haven't met with my family. I've drifted. And if we allow the Lord to examine our hearts deeply, we'll see that actually something has shifted in our hearts. Maybe we've lost a little bit of excitement to come to a church meeting or to spend time with God. It used to be a 7 out of 10 on your priority list, but now it's been downgraded to a 6 out of 10. Something has shifted in our hearts. And whilst we're saying, yes, I have every intention of being with God, I have every intention of praying. I have every intention of reading the word. Something, when we really look deeply, has actually shifted in our hearts. And suddenly, we don't have that same desire to pray that we used to have or to be with God. You see, we don't drift because we're actively or, or trying to run away from the Lord. We drift because we neglect to spend time with the Lord. Maybe we get distracted or maybe whatever whatever the reason is, we just simply aren't spending time with God like we used to. And look, the reason I can talk like this, the reason I can share these examples is because I've drifted. There's been times in my life where I've found it very difficult to spend time with God because I've drifted. I've, had, I've let days and weeks go by where I haven't been praying haven't been in the Word, uh, and, and it's hard to actually turn around and come back to the Lord. It can happen to anyone. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says this. We just read it. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. Now some believe that this passage is written to unbelievers. But I want you to notice that it says we must listen to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. Notice the writer doesn't say you. The writer says we. And I believe it was Paul that wrote this. And so he's including himself in this danger of drifting away. So if, if you say and if you believe that this passage is written to unbelievers, then you've got to say, well, Whoever wrote Hebrews was an unbeliever because they included themselves in this uh, process. Let me talk now about the danger of drifting. We're talking about the process, but let's talk about the danger of drifting now. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know, Russ, you're, you're overreacting here. Drifting's not that serious. Everybody drifts from time to time, and God will bring us back. You know, surely he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. 
Look at the prodigal son. Look how badly he drifted away. And it turned out all right for him in the end. Why worry? Well, if we read on in chapter 2, there's a concerning line that comes next. It says, so what makes us think we, we can escape if we ignore this great salvation? And the answer to that is we won't escape. Whenever God asks that kind of a question, it means, hey, look, what makes you think you're going to escape? The answer is we're not. And so this drifting process is actually really serious. I almost didn't preach this message because we're in lockdown at the moment. And I thought to myself, I thought, you know, we need a message of positivity and people need to be encouraged. People need to be built up during this lockdown. And uh, when I prayed about it, I felt God say this to me. I felt him say, the letter of Hebrews was written to Christians who were struggling. They were going through an incredibly tough time. In fact, they were being persecuted. And you could argue that what they went through at, at the time of, of Hebrews being written was more severe than what we're going through in our current lockdown now. And I felt God say to me, Hebrews was written to those Christians who were struggling and God wanted to warn them of what was going on in their lives. It wasn't just about they need a message of positivity, they need to be lifted up or whatever. Sometimes we need to be warned. And the reason is there is a lot at stake. That's why God warns, because the, there is a possibility that these Christians could lose an incredible inheritance. This isn't a parent warning their child to eat their veggies, or warning their kids to clean their room, or, you know, to get off their computer for the 20th time. This isn't a policeman warning you not to park in a towway zone. This is God himself warning us not to ignore this great salvation. He's saying, don't neglect what God has done in your life. Don't neglect the love of God. Don't neglect the forgiveness that God has given you. Don't neglect the revelations that he's shown you and how he gave you understanding of his word. Don't neglect the fact that you were a slave to sin and now God has freed you from that slavery. Don't neglect the removal of the wrath of God towards you. When we're saved, that wrath is removed. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect your adoption into the family of God and the inheritance that comes with sonship. Don't neglect the mighty power of God that works in your life, strengthening you physically and spiritually. Don't neglect the Holy Spirit who God has freely given you. And don't neglect Christ's sacrifice on the cross. He gave his life so that you might receive an abundance of spiritual blessings. Don't neglect that. That's what, that's what God is saying. Look at what you've inherited. Don't just turn away from that and forget about it. Focus on it. Appreciate it. Live like it means something in your life because it means an incredible amount. And these things are just the tip of the iceberg. This is indeed a great salvation. And God is encouraging the people and us today not to neglect this great salvation. And it happens so easily. And as I said earlier, it can happen to any of us. I actually believe it happened to Timothy. Paul had to warn Timothy 
in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14. He said this. He said to Timothy, do not neglect the spiritual gift you received. So in other words, Timothy was neglecting something. He was drifting. Don't neglect the spiritual gift you've received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. And if you read the whole chapter, you'll see that Paul is saying to his young disciple, you know, stop wasting your time arguing with people. Don't only focus on physical training, focus on spiritual training, focus on godliness. Work hard and teach people. Don't draw back from your ministry because you're young. See, I believe that Paul is speaking to Timothy and he's helping bring focus in Timothy's life. I think Timothy is struggling. And when you have a look at uh, verse 16, you'll see that Paul says this. He says, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. So Paul is not just saying, hey, this could just affect your ministry. He's saying it could actually affect your own salvation. Timothy's own salvation is in danger here. And if Timothy could start to neglect things, it can happen to any of us. The fact that I lead a church doesn't mean I'm exempt or immune from drifting. No, I have to be on my guard. The last thing Paul says to Timothy in the first in his first letter, chapter 6, verse 20 and 21. He says, Timothy, guard what God has entrusted you. Avoid foolish and godless discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith following such foolishness. May God's grace be with you all. So he says to Timothy, guard what God has given you. Don't neglect it. That's the dangers of drifting. And so finally, I want to talk about the remedy against drifting. The remedy against drifting. In other words, how do we guard ourselves? You know, Paul says to Timothy, guard what God has given you. Well, how do we actually do that? You know, is this something that the Bible offers to help us? Or do we, or do we just hope that somehow we're going to be lucky? You know, and avoid the danger of drifting and avoid bad weather and we're, and worse still being shipwrecked on the jagged rocks. Well, I don't believe in luck. I believe in God. And if we go back to our passage in Hebrews, we're going to notice not one thing that we can do, but actually two things that will help us to stay on this path of salvation. The first thing is to listen carefully. And the second thing is seeing our salvation as something that is truly great. Let's look at the first thing, listening carefully. Hebrews says, so we must listen carefully to the truth that we have heard. See, this is the opposite of neglect. It's the opposite of ignoring God. Listening carefully is the opposite to that. And listening here means obeying. It doesn't just mean, hey, I heard God. You know, I heard his voice. I know what he said to me. It's, are you doing what God has said to you? When you're at school and the teacher says, K-Hards, are you listening to me? The teacher's not asking, you know, have you, have you heard what I've said? The teacher's asking, why aren't you doing what I've told you to do? 
I don't know if you've ever had a teacher say that to you. I've certainly had that. And that's listening to God. It's not just hearing God. It's doing what he's told us to do. Look at how the verse continues. It says, For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm. See, we're not holding on to a floating plank here. That wouldn't help us very much if we were drifting. No, the word of God stands firm. When God speaks to us, it's something firm to grab a hold of. We're not going to drift off. We'll be on a firm footing. We'll be anchored in place. I remember preaching a message on, uh, in a, I think it was 2019, on Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 20 about listening carefully to God. If you read that proverb, you'll see what it means to actually listen carefully. And uh, if you want to listen to that message, I think it's on one of our podcasts. And I think, I think the message was called God's Word Heals Our Bodies. Anyway, so that's the first thing, is just listening carefully to God. The second thing is that we need to see our salvation as something great. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3 and 4. Let's read those verses again. It says, so what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. You see, it's very easy to drift off when we don't place a high value on our salvation. If salvation is just something nice to have, it's very likely that we're going to drift. But if salvation is something that is incredibly important, you know, then we're going to guard ourselves from drifting. If I go back to that example of us spending weekends at the dam boating and that, half the reason why, you know, the boats drifted off is because it was left by people who didn't actually own those boats. It, it, the owners dragged them up onto the, onto the shore. But when other people used them, they often forgot them, left them out bobbing on the water, and they drifted off. Why? Because they didn't have the same value for that boat that the owner did. Hebrews says, don't ignore this great salvation. And then it goes on to show us and to prove to us why this salvation is so great. And I want to say this, it's got nothing to do with your personal salvation experience. Because some of you have had a radical change and others got saved maybe at a young age, maybe in kids' ministry, and the change that you saw in your life maybe wasn't as big as some of the other people. Maybe you've listened to people who have stood up and you go, wow, that's an amazing testimony. My testimony is nothing like that. Well, I want to say the greatness of your salvation does not depend on your personal experience because all of our personal experiences vary. Some of you accepted the Lord with tears, and others not. Some of you maybe came out of addictions or drugs or something like that. And, and, and others of you just got saved when you were a young person. You had a realization that you were a sinner and you needed a savior. And so our experiences vary a lot. That's not what makes salvation great. In fact, none of us truly know how great this salvation really is 
because we all have a limited ability to grasp the riches of Christ that we've inherited. Because we've got a finite mind and brain, you know, we don't understand everything, so we have this kind of limited ability to grasp how really great um, salvation is. But the writer of Hebrews says, there are some witnesses that prove how great our salvation is. And they're way more reliable than our personal experiences. So what are they? Well, I've just read the verse. Uh, you can read it for yourself, verse 3 and 4. But there are three of them. First of all, it was this great salvation was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself. God is the author of salvation, and he personally is the one that's introduced it or the one that's told us about it. Then secondly, it was delivered to us by those who heard Jesus speak. It wasn't delivered to us third hand or fourth hand or fifth hand or whatever. It was delivered to us by first hand eyewitnesses. When you're reading the Bible and you're reading you know, uh, the, the New Testament and that, it was delivered by first hand eyewitnesses. It's not kind of a story now it's been passed on, but initially it was, it was distributed by those apostles who were all eyewitnesses of Jesus. And then thirdly, it's been confirmed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit confirmed the greatness of this salvation by giving signs and wonders and miracles and gifts. And I want to say this, is that those three things are what prove that this salvation is great. And for us today, when we get saved, we have a revelation of what Jesus has done. And it's a first-hand revelation. It's not second-hand. We maybe hear it being preached to us, but we have it being confirmed by the Holy Spirit. And that's something very personal that happens to us when we get saved. When Peter had a revelation of Jesus, Jesus said to him, Flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed it. Every single one of us that's born again has had a first-hand experience, a first-hand revelation of this salvation. And how do we guard ourselves of the undeniable away. proof of the greatness How do we guard ourselves? And they don't change our salvation. You know, when you get up in the we morning, listen carefully to God, and you don't feel so good, you, you feel... Work. You feel like your prayers aren't being really great. The great your salvation is still tremendously great because it's not based with this on how you feel. It's not based on your feelings. It's based on these Hebrews witnesses that change to twenty-four. And I want you just to see something of what we have come into as born again believers. Hebrews twelve, verse twenty-two to twenty-four. It says, no, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. Just think about that. How awesome is that? That if you're born again today, if you're saved, if you're a Christian, your name is actually written in heaven, you have come to God Himself, who is the judge over all things. You've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven. These are the saints of old, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, 
the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance, like the blood of Abel. So the blood of Jesus cries out for forgiveness. The blood of Abel, who was murdered by his brother Cain, cries out for vengeance. And Jesus, although he was literally murdered on the cross, his blood blood doesn't cry out for vengeance. His blood cries out for forgiveness. Jesus said on the cross, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And that's, that's what we've come into as Christians. That's the greatness. That's some of the greatness of the salvation that we've inherited. And if we see that salvation, our salvation is something truly great in our lives, we're going to be careful to live in a way where we guard what we've received in Christ. If we kind of think, well, salvation is nice, but it's not really that great. You know, I'm more excited about going to the movies. I'm more excited about some new vehicle that I want to buy or something like that. And salvation is not that great. Then we are in danger of drifting. And suddenly spending time with the Lord is going to go from a 7 out of 10 to a 6 out of 10 to a 5 out of 10 to a 4 out of 10. And then eventually we're going to wake up and we're going to think, man, I should be spending time with God, but oh, it's such a chore. It's, I've got to kind of pick myself up, try and motivate myself to be with God. And it should never be like that. It should be the greatest thing. We should, we should be so excited about spending time with God and spending time with the church, being with God's people, that it's difficult to tear us away. It's difficult for us to leave the building because we just want to be with God's people. It's difficult for us to end our quiet time because we just want to stay with God in His presence, talking with Him, worshipping Him, reading this wonderful word that He's got. That's the life that God has called us to. And this is the first warning, and it's a warning because there's a lot at stake here. God is saying, hey, don't neglect what I've done in your life. You know, keep keep me as the central focus in your life. Keep excited about me. Don't, don't get into the habit of missing time with God and get into the habit of missing meeting with God's people. Otherwise, we're going to find that we've drifted away and before long, we're going to look up and go, Jeepers, where am I? How did I get here? You know, why am I so far away from God? Why is it so difficult for me to spend time with the Lord? I want to just lead us in a prayer right now. And I want to pray for any of you that feel like you've drifted away from the Lord. Maybe you, maybe you haven't been to church in many weeks. Maybe you haven't spent time with the Lord. Maybe you haven't read your Bible. It's just sitting there collecting dust on a shelf somewhere. I want to pray for you now that the Holy Spirit would do an incredible work. Signs and wonders and miracles would take place in your life right now. And that He would cause a passion and a zeal to grow up in your life right now and draw you back to the Lord. So if that's you this morning, maybe just bow your heads, open your heart to God, let Him work in your life. Father, we come to you this morning. Some of us that are listening to this may have drifted from you. Maybe, maybe it's been a couple days, maybe it's been weeks, maybe, maybe it's been months or years since they've spent time praying, time in your word, Maybe they haven't been to church in months. Lord, I pray that there'd be an incredible work 
that your Holy Spirit does in their lives this morning. I pray for hearts to be softened. I pray, Lord, that you would you would draw people back to you this morning. And I pray for a revelation of how great the salvation is that you've given each one of us. Lord, work in our hearts powerfully this morning. Do miracles in our hearts. I pray that where there's, where there's people that just are struggling to read your word. Maybe there's someone here uh, this morning who is just struggling to read the word. Every time you sit down and open the Bible, you just start falling asleep. I prayed for a person like that once. They said literally they can read any other book in the world. As soon as they open the Bible, they fall asleep. And I prayed for them and God set them free so that they could actually read the Bible. Maybe that's you. Lord, I pray over that person that you would set them free now from a spirit of sleep, spirit of apathy, so that when they read your word, they can be free. They can sit and read your word all, all day long if they want to. I pray for deliverance now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord.